Hey, welcome to Sunday Messages. We pray this message inspires and encourages you to go deeper in an overflowing relationship with Jesus. So we've been in this Creatures of Habit series and the, the kind of the essence or the reality or the kind of the thesis statement is this idea that we form habits and then our habits form us, right? We, we form habits and then those habits eventually form us, whether that happens actively, intentionally, or passively by kind of allowing things just to sort of happen. We just do what we do because that's all the way we've done them. And Aristotle, he did say, he said, listen, we are what we repeatedly do. And many of us have this sort of sobering reality that I'm not sure I like who I am. And when you start examining and reevaluating the habits that led you there, you realize, hey, I want to make a change, which is why resolutions every January is so common. We just like, hey, I'm not really sure, sure I like the trajectory of my life. I need to make some adjustments so I can be the person I want to be or person that God made me to be. And so we've been na- navigating these spiritual habits because I believe that we are not earthly beings or natural beings having temporary spiritual experiences on Sunday or in prayer meetings or a small group, but we're actually spiritual beings living in a temporary earthly existence. Therefore, our spirit is going to live forever. The First Peter tells us that we are sojourners. We're aliens in this world just passing through. This is not our eternal home. We are just here for a short time. And so we need to develop spiritual habits that will lead us into a spiritual everlasting, a spiritual living with Christ. And so we've been talking about these four or three, and we're going to talk about the fourth one today, spiritual habits. The first one we talked about is spirit habit of prayer, right? And what does prayer do? Well, prayer does a lot of things, but essentially it connects us to God. So we talked week one, prayer connects us to God. And so I can't get, I want to expand on that, but I don't have time to. So prayer connects us to God. Second thing we talk about fasting. Well, prayer connects us to God. Fasting disconnects us from the world, right? It says, I, I don't need the things of this world to sustain me. My life is sustained and held by the grace and the power of the word of God. And so I don't need the sustenance of this world, the things of this world. And it's beautiful. It hurts for the first little bit, not going to lie. The first little bit stings. You know, you start to, you have, you're kind of jonesing for, food or I fast as social media, like you're just, you're just like the fix of YouTube or whatever. You, just have the, you don't realize it, but you're just looking for it. But when you can get work through that, it's beautiful. The freedom that comes with that allows you to connect with God at a greater level. Last week, Pastor Spencer, come on, come and give it up for Pastor Spencer. <laughs> what, what? Brought the word, brought the house down with he spoke about study, the, stu- the pact of studying scripture and how scripture connects God to us. Right? Prayer connects us to God, but Scripture is how God speaks to us. It's how he connects to us. It's how he reveals his heart as we, as we study the word of God. And today, we're going to talk about confession. Confession. And the confession does all those three things. Confession connects us to God. It disconnects us from the world and, and connects God to us. It does all those three things. But in addition to that, confession also connects us to God's people. Confession is the habit of connecting us to God's people, to move beyond the surface, to move beyond the, the small talk, and to be right to the heart of the issue, and really get to know one another and trust one another. And truthfully, it's something we all desire for, but very few of us are willing to be vulnerable enough to embrace. But we all desire this sort of really personal, relatable connection with somebody, but confession is what brings us there. See, out of the four habits that we've discussed, personally, and I don't know what you feel like, but personally, confession, I find, is the hardest one. I don't know what you feel like, but when I think about prayer, like prayer requires a desire, right? It, 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 it requires devotion to know God, a desire to know God, and a devotion to know God. Okay, I can do that. Fasting sort of requires discipline, right? 
I gotta, I gotta discipline myself and, and maybe a little willpower. Like I gotta will myself not to eat that chocolate bar or not to have that lunch. Willpower to rely on God as our ultimate source, right? I gotta, I gotta discipline myself, actionize willpower. Scripture requires dedication, right? Dedication and focus to, to study God's word, to observe the text, to interpret the text correctly and to apply the text to my life. It requires discipline and, and devotion and focus. But confession requires discomfort. Come on now. It requires humility. It requires vulnerability. All the things that every one of us run towards. No? Okay, good. I'm not alone. Then we want to make sure I'm not alone. Right? Nobody. Like discomfort? Nope. I'm good with that. You know, I'm good with the other two. I'm good with the other three disciplines. Three out of four ain't bad. Three out of four ain't bad. You know, hitting above average, it's good. I'm okay with that. But we're missing out on all. See, our misguided approach, we kind of believe that, right? We're like, hey, if I just do the first first three, I can omit the fourth one. Like, the the first three is good. Or how about this one, this other kind of misguided approach? And again, this is a lie. These are lies and misguided approaches that I tell myself. So I'm not, you know, these are things that I navigate in my own mind. Uh, I'll confess them to God. God, I'll confess to you freely, but I'm not telling anybody. I'll confess to you, and that's good enough. But I'm not going to tell anybody else. Anybody else tell that lie? Thinking that that's good enough? That's, that's, that'll, that'll suffice? And I'm here to tell you this morning that both of these approaches cause us to hear me oh, miss the heart of the habit. These two misalignments cause us to miss the heart of the habit. And ultimately, they cause us to miss the full forgiveness the full freedom, the full healing that comes on the other side of confession. So today is going to be maybe a little bit challenging. But can I ask you to let your guard down a little bit? Because I know I'm not going to ask you to stand up and give your confessions in this room, okay? So just if that's what you're worried about, you know, we'll have a meeting for that after. No, I'm just joking. Uh, but I know what happens is sometimes we just get guarded up because every one of us, we have that thing or maybe a few things that we're just, I just don't want anybody to know. We all have it. Can we just be honest with that? We all have that one thing we just don't want anybody to know. And so we're just afraid of being exposed. We're afraid of being caught. We're afraid of being seen as something different than maybe what we project. And so we become really guarded and we kind of dismiss, this is good for my neighbor, this is good for my spouse, but it's not, I don't need this, right? But can I just embrace and encourage us, challenge every one of us in this room, myself included, to let our guard down and let the Spirit of God speak to our hearts and go into the corners of our lives and the cracks of our heart and allow him to speak to us and to know what to do next. I don't want you to, I don't want you to hear what next from me. I want you to hear what next from the Spirit of God. Can we do that this morning? So let's do that. Before we, before we jump into the text, let's pray. Let's pray. Because ultimately, I don't want this to be a conviction from me or a guilt from me. I want the Spirit of God to speak to every one of us. So God... We just thank you that your word is alive and it's active and it's sharper than a two-edged sword and it separates the bone from marrow. God, you go, what does that mean? You go right to the heart. God, you speak right to the very things we need to know. You go right to the issue. And so, Spirit of God, I, and individually, we all, in our own way, invite you, God, to come and to speak to our hearts. No matter where we are in our journey with you, God, we want to hear from you. There's, There's a reason why we are here. We're here because we want to hear from you today. 
to learn from you, to grow in another step closer to you. So Spirit of God, speak to our hearts. Change our lives for your, by your grace and for your glory. In your precious name, amen. Amen. So when we think about confession this morning, as you study scripture, there's three ways that confession is mentioned throughout the Bible. So we're going to kind of lay a foundation. We're going to do a study of King David, and then we're going to learn from lessons from King David's story. You good with that? So first three things that mentioned about confession. The first is acknowledgement. We see that through a confession, there is the acknowledgement. And what's the acknowledgement? The acknowledgement that Christ is Lord, right? The confession that Jesus is is Lord. That is the first confession we see throughout Scripture. We see that in Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe. For the longest time, I always thought the two most important words in this text were confess and believe. But really, the essence of this comes down to that. What, what are you confessing? What are you believing? You are believing that Jesus is Lord. That confession changes everything. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, here's the hope, here's the promise, here's what we all lean into to receive, that you will be saved, right? Eternity for now is secure with God. For it is with the heart that one believes and is justified, but it's with the mouth one confesses and believes. This is going to go against anybody. I love social evangelism. I think it's good to serve your neighbor, to, to act out love. But at some point, you need to confess with your mouth your belief in Jesus. It needs to be something that people not just see through your actions. In fact, your actions give you credibility to share with words what you believe. Right? So we need to confess. It's the acknowledgement of who Jesus is. In fact, Paul tells us in Philippians that one day, every tongue will confess, every knee will bow, Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord on earth, above the earth, and under the earth, meaning all of creation. The angels, us, all of creation, everybody, the demons will all confess that Jesus is Lord. The question you and I have to ask ourselves on this side of eternity is, will we humble ourselves, or will we wait to that moment where we are humiliated by the reality that we missed the moment, we missed the mark? I told you, it's going to be a little direct today. But here in my heart, right? This is, I'm, just, I'm, I'm trying to be your pastor here. I want to speak the truth in love. Okay? So it starts with confession. Is Jesus Lord? Right? Starts with there. Listen, this confession changes everything. It not only changes everything, but it changes the trajectory of your life here today, how you're going to live today, how you're going to live, and what your priorities, your passions, your pursuits today. But it also changes your eternal destination and where you will spend eternity. Are you going to spend eternity in the presence of God or apart from God? And all of it depends on your confession of faith that Jesus is Lord. The second thing we see that confession, I mean, a confession also is a sign of repentance. It's a, it's a sign of repentance. It's like, God, I'm confessing of my sins. I'm confessing of our sins to God. Confessing my sins to God. Numbers, all the way back in the Old Testament, Numbers 5, 6, and 7, it says, If a man, any man or woman, anyone, meaning anybody, who wrongs another in, in any way, and is so unfaithful to the Lord, is guilty, and must confess their sins that they have committed. Meaning, if you hurt somebody, you hurt the heart of God. Do you know that anytime you, sin hurts God, because sin hurts God's creation. Like when you hurt somebody, this is why I was trying to navigate this, why all sins are created equal in the eyes of God, because all sins hurt God's creation. 
And if you hurt somebody, whether it's a gossip or whether it's murder, you're hurting his people, you're hurting his possession, you're hurting his, his creation, the ones that he loves so much, you're hurting them. And again, I don't care what you do to my kids. If you hurt my kids, if you push them down or you call them a name, you hurt my son, and I'm going to, take, I'm going to, react, I'm going to respond that way. And the heart of God does that. Sin hurts God because it hurts God's people. And before we can make it right with others, we need to make it right with God. Romans 6.23 tells us that for the wages of sin is death, meaning there is a, there's a consequence to our sinful nature, but the gift of God is eternal life. Eternal life with Jesus Christ our Lord. So how do we get this gift from God? How do we get this gift from God that is so freely given to all of us? Is we need to confess. We confess and we receive his grace. Through confession and his grace. And the third thing we're going to see is that we have confession leads to healing. Confession leads to healing when we confess our sins one to another. Confess our sins one to another. See, we go to Jesus for forgiveness. This is how good God is. We go to Jesus for forgiveness. But Jesus gives us his church. He gives us one another to find healing. He, finds, he gives us the body of Christ to find healing and wholeness through the power of confession. James 5, 6 says, Confess your sins one to another and pray for them. Why? So that you may be, say it with me, healed. Like there's healing in confession. It's healing and Revelations 12 says that though we are overcome, we are overcomers by the blood of the Lamb, meaning the work of Christ, the work of the cross, the finished work of the cross, and by the word of our testimony, meaning our confession in Christ's power made complete in us. We are, we are not just, we're not just like naming and claiming it, but we're receiving it by God's grace. We're calling it action, the grace of God made complete in our life. So all the bottom line, when you think of all of these three layers of confession, acknowledgement, repentance, and healing, ultimately what's happening is that confession is the practice of saying, I'm guilty. It's the practice of saying, I can't do this on my own. It's the practice of saying, I have wronged God, and I've wronged his people. It's the practice of saying, I cannot fix this on my own. And I'm going to invite the power of God and the body of believers into the healing process so that I can be made complete and whole. I, I was studying and reading the story of the Alcoholics Anonymous, and their step five is, that they, is this step of confession. And some of you maybe have been through this process. And here, confession is described as a, as a step in which we admit to God, we admit to ourselves, and we admit to, admit to one another, to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. I love how they, this is so biblical. The exact, I mean, they're not just sugarcoating it. They're not just skimming the surf. No, the exact nature of our wrongs. And they explain their heart to God. So why would anybody have a practice? Why would anybody practice this or create a habit of doing something that has the potential to be embarrassing or, or exposing? Like, why would this be something that God is inviting us into? Why would any of us do this? It's because confession is the gateway, listen to me now, confession is the gateway from living under the burden of sin and secrecy and shame to experiencing true and lasting forgiveness, freedom, and healing. And I think the devil has done a pretty good job at causing his, God's people to live in secrecy and shame because we're afraid to be vulnerable, to be uncomfortable, 
to fully embrace forgiveness and freedom and healing. And hear me, church, there's a better way. God has made a way where you are looking and it's like, there is no other way. Yeah, yeah, God has made a way where there seems to be no way. But it involves discomfort. It involves humility. And it involves vulnerability. But can I tell you that you, we serve a God who's not going to point it back in you? He's not going to rub it in your face. But he's going to hear you, receive you, and respond with grace. We're going to look at the story of David in Psalm 51. If you have your scriptures or your phone, you want to open up to Psalm 51. We're going to kind of camp out there for just a little bit. Psalm 51 is renowned, is renowned rather as an expression of repentance. And David, King David, is arguably one of the greatest of Israel's kings. And he fell into a serious sin and recognized his need to plead with God for forgiveness. And this confession was inspired. This confession or this psalm that we're going to look at in Psalm 51 is sort of inspired by David's sins of adultery, of deception, and even murder in his relationship with Bathsheba. If we want to know the story, if you don't know the story that I'm referring to, it's found in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. We're not going to go to there. I'm just going to give you the Coles Notes version of the story. But David was a king. He was uh, the second king of Israel after, after King uh, Saul. He was a good king. He was a righteous king. He followed God's command. And Scripture tells us that at a time when kings go off to war, David stayed in Jerusalem. So right off the hop, David wasn't where he sh should have been. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. So David stayed back, and while he was staying back, he noticed a woman named Bathsheba bathing on her roof, and he called her to, into his palace, and she became pregnant by David. I'll let you fill in the story. I'll let you fill in the gaps of how that happened. All right? But for the fear of being caught, right? How many people know, like, sin is great until it's not? Right? Sin is fun until you get busted, until you get caught with your hand in the cookie jar, and David was fearful of getting caught. This is not the way he was supposed to be. This is not how he was supposed to act. This was not living a righteous, he was not being righteous to the law of God. So David brought, uh, so David brought his, her husband home. Her husband's a soldier, he's at war. He brought her husband Uriah home. And from back from war, hoping that he would sleep with Bathsheba to cover up this illegitimate pregnancy. He's like, maybe they'll sleep together. It's all done. They didn't have pregnancy tests like we do now. DNA tests are just going to be covered. Let's make it all done. But Uriah was a man of God. He was loyal, the Bible says. He was fellow soldiers. And he refused to take special privileges while his friends were at war. He didn't want to sleep in the house. My neighbors and my brothers are sleeping out in the cold and under the stars. I'm not even going to sleep in a comfortable bed, let alone lay with my wife. And so... David even tried to take it a step further, and he got Uriah drunk. And maybe if he's drunk, he won't think straight. He'll do something stupid. Sound familiar? Anyway, he'll, he'll do something stupid, and he'll do something he'll regret it. But, David, but Uriah refused to do anything. And so finally, David, feeling full of shame and desperation. You know that shame and desperation causes us to do some pretty foolish things. To make something bad even worse, Right? So David arranged for Uriah to be caught in the middle of some battle maneuver. He pushed him to the front lines and the rest of the army will retreat so that Uriah would die. And the plan succeeded. And upon Uriah's death, David then invites Bathsheba into his palace to be his wife. And so David's thinking everything's scot-free, everything's, everything's covered up, everything's going as planned. There's only a few people who know what's really going on, but everything else is covered up. And then one day a prophet named Nathan Comes to, uh, comes to David. 
And he tells David of a story of a, of a rich man who had several flock, who had several sheep. And then he had a friend who came over to, to visit. And so he went to his neighbors, who was a poor man who only had one sheep, one lamb. And instead of taking one of his multiple sheep, he goes to the one man and takes a single lamb and offers his single lamb to feed his guest. And David hears this story and is outraged with anger and says, this man deserves to die. And then Nathan responds back, pure, like, I would just love to be in the room when this happened. Can you, I just don't know what his attendance would be like. Tells a story. David is righteous. He's anger. And then Nathan just stands there just in quiet confidence and says, you're the man. Not in like you the man way, but like <laughs> you're the man. You're the man who deserves to die. Right? You're the man who's guilty. And in a moment, David knew. He knew. And then David, he began to explain the result of his sin, that David's family would be forever embroiled in war and conflict and scandal and violence. There's consequences to sin. The child conceived by Bathsheba would not survive, and David would be, David would be humiliated in the presence of his people, and these predictions and these prophecies came true, and the rest of David's life was spent in turbulence and family controversies. In fact, one of his sons led a full-fledged rebellion, one of his sons, Absalom, a full-fledged rebellion against his own father. Because there's consequences to our sin. But in this psalm, David confesses his sin to God, holding nothing back. Is there something really beautiful about this? And what's beautiful about this psalm is he doesn't blame anybody. Like, he doesn't blame or kind of cover up his errors or makes no attempt to make excuses for his actions. He just simply cries out for mercy. And in Psalm 51, starting at verse 1, we see David's response now hearing Nathan, Nathan tell him what's going on. And after all this, he says, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions and wash away all my iniquities. What does he say? Cleanse me from my sin. Here we see in this short passage, we see that he's acknowledging that Jesus is Lord, that God is God, right? He, you're God, I'm not. And I'm also acknowledging my sinful nature. I'm acknowledging my sinful ways. And then he goes on and he says, he says, restore, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and only you have I sinned. Have I sinned? He's owning his sin. And I've done what's evil in your sight. So do, so you are right in your verdict and you're justified when you judge me. What is David saying? David is, I've sinned against God by hurting and abusing your creation and I am guilty and I deserve your justified punishment. Like David is just owning the consequences of his actions. Like I know some of us, we, we confess, but in our confession, we try justification. God, I know I did that, but God, I know I did that, but you don't know what that person did. God, I know I spoke angry. God, I know I gossiped. God, I know I was sinful. God, I know I went to that place, but I was just, I was, I was, I was and you just try to justify. But David is here saying, no, I did it. I'm, I, I did it. And I'm just pleading on mercy. I'm, I'm, I'm pleading before the court for mercy. Based on your unfailing love, based on your, based on you, who you are, your great compassion, have mercy on me. And then he goes on in verse 10, he says, after he continues to have this prayer out with God, he says, God created me a pure heart and renew. I love that word renew because the renew is meaning it used to be there before. 
Like, it's not, it's not like completely lost. It's just slipped away a little bit. It's kind of fallen off the tracks. God, just renew the right spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. What's he saying? He's like, I still want the spirit of God to convict me and correct me. I don't want to be so, so numb to my own decisions that I'm not hearing your voice anymore. I want to still hear your voice, still convict me, still correct me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me, right? How many of us know that? Grant me a willing spirit to stay focused, to stay disciplined, to stay pursuing you. Sustain me when I feel like I have nothing else left. See, these words display David's absolute humility and anguish. Maybe you have been there before. Just, I just feel humiliated. I'm full of anguish over the sin that I have created, I have committed. And he appeals to God's mercy and love, knowing that he can be forgiven. And at the same time, David makes no attempt to ask God to spare him from his earthly consequences of his sin. See, we read through Scripture, and if you study this David a little bit further, you realize that David is known after a man, as a man, rather, as after God's own heart. And you read stories like this, and you're like, hold up. I have never done anything close to that. Like, what? makes David so special. And I think the truth is, is that David was, oh, yeah, David was not perfect. David sinned. This is not the only time David fell short of God's glorious standard for his life. But every time he was quick to repent. Every time he was quick to confess. Every time he was quick to receive God's grace. And so in the last few minutes of our time together, I just want to show three, three real principles, three biblical principles of confession that we see, and I'm really hoping that we can apply these to our lives. I'm going to go quick. Here's the first one. is that confession leads to forgiveness. Listen, confession leads to forgiveness. you got to confess your need in Christ. we got to confess to God. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned. Everybody has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yes, that means you. Yes, that means me. All means all. Everyone means everyone. None of us are perfect. None of us deserve anything other than the wrath of God. But by God's grace, he saved us. See, there's not one of us in this room or the sound of my voice expelled from this reality of this human condition. Confession starts with acknowledging this uh, this condition of our human condition and our need for grace. But here's the good news. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess with our mouth, right? If we confess our sins, rather, then he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Meaning we have this hope that yes, while we're still sinful, while we are far from God, if we confess our sin, if we confess our need for God, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Means we can come to the foot of the cross and we can lay our baggage down. Some of us are just so bent over by carrying all this guilt and shame, this baggage that we're just exhausted. And you get this beautiful privilege to come and lay it down at the foot of the cross, where you'll receive faith and mercy and grace to help you in your time of need. What is confession? Confession is our practice of saying, I am guilty. I made a mistake. I wronged you. I sinned against God. And I'm going to confess my need for him, and I'm going to receive forgiveness. That's a beautiful place to start. But there's more. Confession then moves on to forgiveness then leads to freedom. You see, when you have received forgiveness, when you embrace true forgiveness, when you allow to accept it, you can then begin to lead in freedom. And this is really when we confess to ourselves, right? Where we acknowledge, where we accept, the, we accept forgiveness and embrace the freedom. 
I don't know what it is, and sometimes I'm guilty of this, is that I, I come to the God in prayer and I confess my sins and I lay down my baggage and I lay down my burdens and I have a beautiful moment with the presence of God and I feel free and then I get up and I pick up my bags with me and I walk away. Anybody else? And we wonder, why am I still holding on to this? Why can't I be set free? Because you picked it up. Lay it down. I think, you know, you don't need to find your identity in your sin, but you can find your identity in Christ alone. I think the hardest part of forgiveness is believing that you and I are even worthy of receiving it. Of receiving a new identity. Of receiving of the freedom that comes in forgive, forgiveness. That we don't have to be identified in that past way or that past action or that way of thinking or the way of speaking or the way of living. We don't have to be identified that anymore, but we are made new in Christ. Romans 8 one, it says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit has, who gives life has what? Set you, say it with me, free. He sets you free through the, from the law and from the sin of death. This is the beautiful image of what baptism is all about, water baptism is all about. That we don't have to be bondage and live under the yoke of slavery and our old identity anymore. But we are, that's dying. That's no, that's no longer who we are. But we have been raised, made new, and come alive in Christ, and we can live in this new reality of who God made us to be. How does this happen? 2 Corinthians 5.21, that God the Father made Jesus the Son, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we may become the righteousness of God. This is simply by the grace, the compassion, and the mercy of God the Father. That Jesus took on everything that was owed to you, and we received everything that he had, in exchange. So now when God sees us, he doesn't see us as we used to be. He sees us through the lens and through the veil of Christ. Through his righteousness, you are loved and you are worthy to not only be forgiven, but to walk in freedom. Don't believe the lie that that's who I used to be and that's who I am will always be. No, 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 you are been, you're not that tomorrow, that yesterday. You're, you're a new creation today. And the third thing we see is that freedom then leads to healing. Freedom leads to healing. And this is when we begin to confess our sins to others, right? And this is the vulnerable part because the first two are hard, but they're at least done privately, <laughs> right? Like it's hard. It's hard to admit that. It's hard to acknowledge my need for God. It's hard to accept forgiveness and to allow my mind to think differently about who I am and who God made me to be. That is hard. That, that, is, there is, a re, that is a real step. But what's really hard is to sit down with someone you love or someone you trust. And I say someone, I don't mean everybody. This is not a thing you go public on social media about. Find someone that you trust. Someone who loves you. Someone who cares for you. And with discomfort and stuttering and humility and vulnerability, you confess. Listen, you've already been set free. You've already been forgiven. You've already been set free. What you're doing now is you're embracing that and going for healing. It's like I was thinking about it the other day. It's like, it's like when you go and you have, maybe you have a surgery and you have to get your knee re redone or you have to rebuild your knee. My dad went through this with his hip and his knee. And, okay, you have a problem. The doctor now brings a solution. It's fixed. It's fixed. It's healed. It's restored. The ligaments are back together and everything's good. But now you've got to go through the healing process of bringing strength back to that situation. And most of the time, 
you sit down with somebody, right? You don't do this on your own. This is done with a physiotherapist who helps you walk through the process of healing. I've been healed. There was a problem. It's been forgiven. It's been dealt with. But now I've got to go through the process of healing. And sometimes that happens in a moment. But a lot of times it happens over time. But the key of both is you're not doing it alone. The key with both is that you're inviting somebody else in to the process of healing. We go to Jesus for forgiveness, but we go to the body of believers for healing. And this is why I tell you, don't make church, don't miss church. We need church. We need you and you need us. This is how we work together. This is how we heal together. This is how we move together and grow together. This is why small groups are so important to me because you can't have honest conversations in a cluster group of people when people are coming and going. You need to have that sit down face to face time over time, building that sense of trust and confidence in one another that, hey, I'm gonna be a little bit vulnerable. Can I trust you that you're not gonna drop it or use it against me? This is why community is so vital. We need Jesus. We need to experience life through our gatherings, absolutely. But we need to find freedom as we live in community, one with another, where we are known and needed. You see, the key is this, is that it's not about dumping your dirt, but it's finding life and healing. What does James tell? I know that we've already said this verse, but there's this power in it, is that you confess your sins one another. Confess your sins one another. And then the next part of it is really important. And pray. <laughs> I mean, don't just confess and talk to each other and try to fix it in your own earthly manner. You gotta confess it and then pray. Confess and then pray. James tells us that the prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective. Who is righteous among us? Nobody, but all of us who've received the grace and the glory of God. We are become righteous because of what Jesus has done for you. So if you're a follower of Jesus, guess what? Your prayers are powerful and effective. So you have the ability to pray for your friend or your spouse or your child. As they confess, you don't come up with an earthly solution. You pray that God will give you wisdom and endurance to heal. We all need somebody. See, David learned this the hard way. Unfortunately, David had to have somebody come up to him and kind of catch his hand in the cookie jar. But the prophet Nathan was there to hear the confession and to walk through David. But because of this, David found he found forgiveness and he found healing and he found freedom, but he also had to go through some of the natural consequences of his actions. And here's the thing, again, this is a warning from scripture that we see in the story, but we see in other stories, is that concealment always costs more than confession. Concealment always costs more. If you're a parent, this is a lesson you've taught your kids. If you're honest with me, when I ask you an honest question, it will be easier for you. But if I find out from somebody else, the discipline is gonna be a lot harder. Anybody ever say that to their kids? So if that's how we're gonna approach our kids as earthly parents, would God not be any different with the heaven of God? But God's like, listen, he invites us into the relationship, but listen, if we're caught with our hand in the cookie jar, there, there's some natural consequences. And obviously God wants to protect us, but there are consequences to our sins. There are natural consequences that we have to navigate through. And we're going to walk through them with God's grace. And we're going to walk through them together. And through together, through the community, we're going to find healing. So here's my thought. I just want to leave you with this. You get with, are you with me okay? That was good? Hope you're here in my heart today. Is that holy living or living set apart or living free or whole is our response to being forgiven 
not a condition of being forgiven. This was in our devotional as we go through this morning. I, I just read this line. I was like, this is beautiful. Like, listen, I'm, no, I'm not living holy or living set apart to try to earn God's forgiveness or to try to earn God's, God's attention. But because I have been forgiven, I want to live a holy life. This is what Jesus was speaking to us in John 14, 15. He says, if you love me first, love first, then you will keep, you will obey, you will observe my commandments. So this is an invitation into a relationship, not an expectation of religion. It's an invitation that if we love God and we've accepted his love for us, then we want to abide. We want to develop these spiritual habits. We want to spend time with him. Listen, I've come to know, and I desperately want you to know that God wants to know you. This is why we develop the habit of prayer. So you can connect with God. God wants you to be dependent on him alone. This is why we go through the habit of fasting. To put our dependency on Christ alone. Not anything else in this world. See, God wants you to know him. Not does he just want to know you. He wants you to know him. This is why we have the habit of studying scripture. Of reading God's word. And applying it to our life. And God wants you to live in freedom. And this is why we build the habit of confession. All of these things are available for you and I. Without discrimination. Right? The only ability, the only level of, of obstacle is your willingness to lean in and to say yes to Jesus. So I'm going to invite you just to close your eyes across this place. Just every eye closed and every head bowed. I'm just going to create a moment before we close today. And it's, I've said a lot of words and I just want the Spirit of God to speak to your heart if he hasn't already. I'm going to just ask you three questions and I want you to just answer them. Try to give some thought to them. The first one is around acknowledgement. Is that if you haven't already, will you humble yourself and confess Jesus is Lord? Or maybe you've made that confession at one point, but you're not living that confession out in your actions. Your priorities are not his priorities. Your pursuits are not his pursuits. You're like Jesus as Savior, but you're not sure you've made Jesus as Lord. And here's the first acknowledgement. The acknowledges that Jesus is Lord. He's Lord of my life. And so whether that's the first time or whether that's another time, the question I'm going to ask you this morning is, will you confess that Jesus is Lord? Second question leads to this idea of repentance. Is that in that confession of Jesus as Lord, will you confess your sins to him and receive his forgiveness? Will you bear your heart to him? Will you invite him in into those dark corners of your life and those things that you're trying to hide from your loved ones? Even try to hide from yourself. But will you ask him to come in and to cleanse you and to forgive you and to purify you from all righteousness? David said a prayer is like, search me, God, and know me. See and test my wicked heart. See if there's anything inside of me. God, I just want to live in that life where we just confess to you knowing that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And the third step, and the third thing I want to ask you this morning is that if you haven't already, 
Who will you confide in through confession? Hear me now. I'm not asking you to talk to everybody. Please don't talk to everybody. But I need you to talk to somebody. And maybe you don't feel comfortable with a spouse, but maybe it's a small group leader or a best friend or a parent or a pastor. But if you want to experience not just forgiveness and not just freedom, but if you want to experience healing, you need to bring it out of the dark. You go to God for forgiveness, but you go to his people for healing. And so God, this morning, we invite you into our conversation. We thank you for the habit of knowing you. We thank you that through prayer that we can connect to you. We thank through fasting we can disconnect from the world and rely on you. We thank you that through studying your word, God, we can lean on you and grow in relationship with you. But God, we thank you that in confession we can find healing and forgiveness and freedom because of you. And so, Spirit of God, we invite you that we may continue to trust you each and every day, confess our sins to you, let people in, and experience healing. I pray for each one of my friends here this morning, God, that they would receive your grace today, that they would know your love, and they would not hold back from leaning in to all you have for them today. If you're here this morning and maybe you're, you don't even have a relationship, maybe that first question, hey, I've never even acknowledged Jesus as Lord of my life, and you're here and you just feel that there's something pulling you and that the Spirit of God is touching your heart. Maybe I'm just going to explain what that is. Your heart's like pounding. You don't know why. That's God touching your heart. And he's calling you in. He's calling you to become his son or his daughter. If that's you here this morning, I want to give you the invitation before we leave, before we close the doors, to confess that Jesus is Lord. And you can, in this moment right now, you can receive his forgiveness and his grace and become a child of God. If God is speaking to you today with the church of God praying for you, if that's you here today, I'm going to count the three. And I want you to just give me an indication by lifting up your hand. Again, this is not a commitment you're making to me, but this is an acknowledgement so I can pray for you as you confess that Jesus is Lord. If that's you in this room, on the count of three, I want you to make that confession by lifting up your hand. One, two, three. Just go ahead. If you've never made that confession before, go ahead all across this place. It's amazing. I see those hands. Jesus is Lord. I, make, I see those hands. Come on, Jesus sees those hands. It's amazing. You put them down. Father, we just thank you so much for these children who are responding to you. Thank you, Lord God, that you are speaking to our hearts. You're pulling us close. And so, God, we just pray for each one of these confessions of faith as they declare that you are the Son of God, that you died and rose again, that you are now living in heaven, and one day we will be restored with you, God. As we confess our faith in you, I pray, God, that you are faith. Thank you that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So as much as they know now, I pray, Lord, that you would bless them and keep them. Make your face shine upon them. Be gracious to them. Give them your peace, we pray. Thank you, God, that you invite us into relationship with you. We give you our hearts. In your precious name, we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, I hope that message was an encouragement to you today. I want to challenge you to stay tuned and take a listen to Sunday Encore, where we have a more candid conversation about the practical application of Sunday's message.